0: Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel Markin, joined around the table by Jeff Bucknam. Hello. No pneumonia, no mo. <laughs> no pneumonia. No pneumonia, right. no more. No mo. And uh, around the other table, or the other same other table side, on the other side, on the other side of that same table on the other side of that same table. Uh, Greg Harris, hey guys, and you haven't been here for what, like two weeks? It's, it feels like it's been an
1: eternity.
0: Greg, Greg, <laughs> Greg, Greg, the Grego Roman world. Greg, first of all, why don't you like us? And second of all, where have you been? Easy, I like you guys just fine. Uh, no, you guys needed you needed a fresh
1: voice, you need a fresh perspective. Things are getting stale with me on here. Let's be honest. I have it's like, like
0: it's kind of like when you eat a gluten free bread I, and it's just, just not the it same. Just,
1: it just crumbles, you know, unless you toast it, which I'm not allowed to do anymore. at the church anymore. I'm banned listen from the to toasters.
0: Three episodes prior, you've heard this story though. The right, New Year's Jeff? episode. No, I haven't. Go listen to the podcast, Jeff. I've, I've okay. wrecked,
1: I've damaged one of our toasters on the staff a few years ago, and then I let I left a cheese toast unattended. Ooh. and It caught flame. And It caught flame. And we it's talked fun. about it with Steve. It was the
0: episode with Steve. It oh, sounds yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: similar to but the uh the office
0: episode with Ryan. The yeah. fire guy. Okay. Fire guy. Fire guy.
1: Yep. Greg started the. He <laughs> <laughs> was a
2: Anyway, we're we're here and we're ready to engage with more questions around the Bible and church and all sorts of stuff.
1: That's, That's right. right? Man. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm ready to roll. We will. But Greg first, you wanted the hot take, didn't you?
1: Well, it wasn't so much a hot take as much as it is the first interesting thing to happen in, in the Canucks land <laughs> since 2011. Hockey which talk. Which was we actually have a player that's that's kind of interesting at this point, Brock Besser.
2: Are the uh, Canucks, uh, sorry, they're I don't, terrible I this don't year. follow them. I was going to say, are they're they still? They're not doing well. They're, are they the worst in the league or they're pretty close?
1: They're getting close to that. Yeah. But they, uh, they, uh, they have a rookie Who's who's in, really next four years is going to be wasted on them? Who's who's a really good goal scorer? Plus he the thing that you got to like about this Brock Besser, Jeff, that's his name.
0: Okay, all name
1: team. He's got he's got that like hockey hair. <laughs> yeah, going. You know, like the iconic '80s hockey hair. Yeah, with the mullet out the helmet. Oh yeah, so people love it. They, they call him the Flow. Oh man. <laughs>
0: That's what all I wanted to he... say.
1: I'm just I just wanna I know sometimes we talk football, sometimes we talk other sports, and we have a lot of hockey fans and here's They're faithful. Here, here, faithful here, here's listeners. a little a little tidbit for you. I'm with you. I think Brock Besser's the real deal. He won the MVP for the all star game oh, this last weekend, which is why that's fantastic. So that's why Congratulations we're bringing to him up. Brock Besser. If he's Brock, if you're listening to the show, we We know you are. We wanna we just know say, you are listening. We just wanna say keep the flow going. Yeah. I so want him to get a, to forty goals. That's, Is he my, f- that's my hope.
2: He's a uh, a center wing, winger. He's a winger, oh. winger.
0: Hey, does uh, does Ed Jovanov Ed Jovinovsky still play? Not or Jovo Cop? No, he's been retired for a long time. That's good. Nice. <laughs> hey, uh, we're starting a new sermon series called Abe. We are. What does that stand for, Jeff?
2: It's not an acronym, uh, Daniel. It's actually <laughs> <the> Abraham. <laughs> uh, Should we make it an acronym? Abraham a- Bible a- Exposition. Mm. Um, yeah, no, it's about, it's about kind of the life and faith of Abraham or Mm. selected passages in the life of Abraham. We are calling it Abe because he just like David and we called that Dave is just like us. Sometimes we read these about these old Testament, uh, saints and they sound like they're people from another land and another place that we cannot identify with at all. Well, actually it's not the case at all. And Mm. Abraham is, uh, he's, he's a mixed bag. Some stuff is great. Man of faith. He's held up in the New Testament as the the model by the Apostle Paul of faith. But he's also a a guy who will say his wife's not his wife, it's his sister, so that he can join the harem of the king. (laughs) So it's like he is just a bit of a mess, which is like all of us. So it's good. We want to learn about it from that. Greg's starting the series? Mm. Yeah.
1: Yes, this weekend. It's going to be fun. It is going to be I'm looking fun. forward to it. I've been looking forward to this passage for a while. Good. We're going to have a good time this week. Genesis weekend, 12. Yeah. If you want, spoiler alert, it's in Genesis 12. That's where we're starting. So, But if you've been doing our Northview Reads reading plan, then you would have already known this. You would have already read Abe's story because we're done, Genesis. We're in Exodus now. We're well and truly in Exodus in the Bible reading plan.
2: Good times. Anyway, but that's what we're starting this weekend. You're right, Daniel. New sermon series coming right around, like right right now.
0: It is so exciting. It is. it is. It's the talk of the town around the office. Everyone can't stop talking about Abe. I'd, Who's the new guy, Abe? I don't believe well, that's true. Well, he's not on staff here, but you'll find out soon enough. Mm. Jeff Bucknum. That was
2: an extended length of uh, quiet. <laughs> do you have a question for Jeff? Do you have a question? Hey, Jeff, yeah. here's my question.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, what do you do on your computer? Right there,
2: I'm looking at the I'm looking at Acts chapter oh. two. Which hey is, Jeff, do you want to talk about it? Sure. Actually, this weekend I was uh, as part of my um, as part of my sermon on see on Saturday night. Sometimes what happens in sermons is that you do this Saturday night sermon and you have uh, a bunch of material and you work you through. Cut it out. Well, you work through the material and then at the end you're like, "Wow, well, I had to do that too quick uh, in order for it to actually make any difference at all." Uh, and so I, I cut it out for Sunday and uh, the sermon was better without it, but I still wanted to include it, which is probably what this podcast is a good place for. So the, the thing I said on Saturday night might answer some questions. So, we, so whenever you talk about the sovereignty of God, which is what, if, if you weren't in church this last weekend, we were talking about Acts chapter four and the prayer that the early church prayed in response to the threats of the religious leaders uh, against Peter and John where they told them to stop preaching about Jesus, and they said, "No, we're not going to stop preaching about Jesus." And then they came back and they prayed for boldness. Their boldness was a product of of their belief in the sovereignty of God, which they delineate actually quite a bit in the in the first part of the of the um, of the prayer, citing Psalm chapter two and saying, actually, what was written in Psalm chapter two about the Lord and His anointed and those who want to stand over against it is happening right in our midst right now. And so they saw themselves as, as keep chief part of history where God was working out his eternal plan right in front of their eyes. And so it gave them a kind of boldness. Anyway, part of that discussion, I I went into great detail uh, trying to give some illustrations in the Old Testament stories about how sovereign God is. And I was making the argument that God is meticulously and enormously sovereign over the events of life on earth uh, in in every way, even so much as so that a guy like Nebuchadnezzar who, when he, get, he comes back to his senses, says that there's, no, there's nobody you can say to God, what have you done? There's nobody, nobody who stands over against us. There's no, no one in heaven and no one on earth who can, who can you know, stand in his way to, when he wants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. No, now, that kind of statement sounds like it's a contradiction of God's, uh, of, of God's giving us a, a level of human freedom so the question a lot of people end up raising is okay, but how do those th- those work together though? Okay, so I'm I'm happy to go along with the idea that God is sovereign in the Bible, but what about what about human beings? Like we we have we have free will, don't we? To some we like we're free to to do what we want, and how how do both those work together? So anyway, on Saturday night I I, I want i wanted to make the argument and did a little bit that. If you go to the Bible, you'll find that both divine sovereignty—the kind that I was describing—and the kind that the early church was praying about, and human responsibility, meaning that we are responsible to act and to live uh, in response to God, and that those our decisions actually have genuine meaning. Both of those things are taught in the Bible, sometimes right next to each other, in in an almost awkward way that makes you just go your mind kind of go into circles, and so. My big point is that we don't want to limit either one of those. We don't want to say, well, God is sovereign, except over these things, because humans are free. Well, no, God is sovereign, and humans are free. We also don't want to say, well, humans are... like We we don't want to limit... We just don't want to curb either one of those things. We want to say both of those are true. People are genuinely free, and God is exhaustively sovereign. And the Bible holds those together. So anyway, the passage that I was citing on uh, on Saturday night is a really interesting one. Greg, you probably I mean you, you've done a lot of work with it, so I'm like I don't I want to stop talking and you can actually talk through a little bit of why it's so interesting.
0: Greg, do you want to read it for us quick?
2: Uh what verse do you want we're g- gonna be in Acts two. You can start in verse twenty two. The sure. con the context is Peter after Pentecost is is preaching to all of those who were surprised that they were speaking the language. These Jewish people are speaking the language of all the visitors to the all the local dialects of the visitors to to Jerusalem at the day. And so he takes this opportunity to preach the gospel to them and he gets to the part in the story where he has to describe what you know, the the crucifixion of Jesus. The language he uses is really, really interesting.
1: That's the part that we mm. want to point out. So verse twenty two <coughs> of Acts chapter two, fellow Israelites The language in there in particular, that that represents what Jeff was talking about, how the Bible will teach this um, this dual doctrine at exactly the same time of God's meticulous sovereignty and also humans' legitimate freedom to make decisions to do what they want to do is is demonstrated in particular in verse uh, 23, where uh, Jesus is described as the man handed over to you, so the Jewish people and the religious leaders. By God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge.
2: So, so God, at some point, before the foundations of the world, we assume, although the, I'm assuming that here, it, but there, there was a time prior to this event where God decided mm. that he, that's the way the language, did, that God would hand Jesus over to them. Right. Right? It was God God's plan. He was handed over to you by the means of God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge.
1: And then that's coupled right next to So that's, that's
2: the sovereignty piece. Exactly. Okay? So so Jesus is in this situation because God put him in this
1: situation. But and you so you the, the audience who are are hearing Peter's sermon who the Jewish people and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So... Which
2: which Greg is that a is that a wicked act? Yes. So that's the question that, that is raised often, and I raise it on Saturday night. I ask the question, It, it was it God's will, or did God want mm-hmm. Jesus to be murdered?
1: Mm.
2: Which raises the, the theological conundrum, because mm-hmm. on the one hand, well, no. God, does God want anyone to be ner- murdered? Well, no, of course not. God's moral, moral guidelines suggest that, 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 not just suggest, they command that mm-hmm. murder is sin, Mm -hmm. at every point. Mm -hmm. So does God want the murder of anyone? Does God want sin of any kind? No, no, he doesn't want that. And yet somehow in God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge in this case, God's world that he has created Mm. includes that sin that he deliberately chose to create a world where Jesus was crucified And that he wanted Jesus to be crucified. You get to actually, I guess, Revelation 13 seems to suggest that the lamb was slain from the foundations of the world is the language that's used there. So that this was always the plan of God, that he would achieve Mm -hmm. salvation of his people through the atoning sacrifice of his son. So did God want Jesus to die? Yes. Yes. It's actually the moment in all of human history that points the most to God's character. Right? Mm-hmm. To his justice and his mercy, and the full, you know, that we, we hold up the cross rightly as, as being the example, the great example of God's love for us and the God's demonstration of over the powers of his authority and all that kind of stuff. But both can be true. That's the point here is that both sit side by side.
1: Hmm.
2: So the same, the reason this came up is because in Acts chapter 4. The same kind of language in the very prayer that these guys pray is is there. So you get into Acts 4, uh, 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, you made heavens and earth and sea and everything in them. You spoke through the Holy Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? People's plot in vain. The kings of the earth. Rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They, in their conspiring against Jesus and hmm. thus killing him, did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Hmm. So, again, they conspired to, to, uh, to oppose him, which, is that God's will? No. Well, no, not in a moral sense, and yet is it God's will? Yes, in a sovereign sense, they they did what your deliberate plan foreknowledge. So God has two wills. Yeah, we would say that we would say that that, that God has a sovereign decree, or what would they call the will of decree, and uh, He also has a moral will, which is often called the will of desire. So does so, one will?
0: Will one will submit to the other will?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, ultimately, it's it's possible for us to say in several places in the Scripture mm. that God that God's will is done always in the sense that His sovereign will is done, but His God His will is not always done in His sense of His moral will. And th- this this is a a, a well attested theological point that lots of people get lost in. Here, here's the thing: in the end, this, we we can run round and round in the theological circles. Here's the practical outworking of this. What this means is, when something really, really bad happens, and by bad I mean on a moral ground, okay, wicked. So let's pick pick something—the murder of a child, Mm. which is, I mean, horrible. I mean, I maybe we should pick something softer than that, okay, a lie or something. But let's just pick. Fill your mind with whatever moral atrocity you have. Mm. What we can say is two things about that uh, biblically. Number number one, we can say it's wicked that we right,
1: we rightly condemn it as a wicked act. And because it's wicked, by definition, God doesn't want it to happen. Right. And we could say
2: did, did God want this to happen? No. That God condemns it, condemns the what what uh, he condemns the action itself, says that that's wicked, that the person who did it unless they repent and believe the gospel will be held accountable for it and if they do repent and believe the gospel their sins are transferred onto Jesus and we, and you who would then say that paid the price for them so that the,
0: person did that in their own will right, right. i would say which that which is rebelling against god say
2: yes they, they are rebelling against god and they, they are responsible mm. for their actions before him and he will hold them to account so god is with the sufferer calling it wicked mm-hmm. and comforting the sufferer We also, though, can say, secondly, that we don't live in a world that is spinning out of control. We live in a world where even that wicked act is accounted for by God and his sovereign plan. And so in a sense, the world that God created, he permitted this to take place. Mm. And in the end, that even that wicked act will serve his ultimate purposes for the glorification of his name, and the good of his people. Mm. So we we say both. So you can actually have hope. This is what the early church was saying: is that they could, they have hope in this moment where they're the 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 the, uh, the enemies of the faith, as it were, the 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 religious leaders in Jerusalem who are the they're you know we're telling them to keep quiet. They, they can have boldness and hope in this moment by saying, no, it doesn't. You can stand over against God if you want, and that's wicked, and we're going to call you to repent, but like you're not going to stop him hmm. from accomplishing what it is even your opposition is part of his ultimate plan that's what we understand when we read Joel Psalm 2, that he foretold all about this
1: mm-hmm.
2: so there should be a kind of boldness again there should be kind of a boldness into to our lives that 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 we are are the kind of people who live in a live securely i tried to use the image of a you know, kid climbing a pole with a mm-hmm. with a uh, harness on them. That is a that is a genuinely real image. Mm. When it comes to God, is that he he, he will guide you. The the kid is free to take whatever steps they want up the mm. up that pole, but the Lord is is superintending mm. the steps. Mm.
0: And he does that. So, in the in the individual circumstance of the child being killed, that's a very micro level. Does God continue to do this on a macro level too? Yeah, God with, does it on every level. <laughs> on every level, right? So yeah. with with government. Well, there's no
2: biblical. I, I, I I'm just saying that there's very there's the the biblical arguments and the biblical mm-hmm. material seems to suggest that God is is like this. When Jesus, I mean, I'll give you an example, Luke 13, right? Oh, maybe that's not the greatest. There seems to be lots of examples in the scripture about how God is that that His sovereignty extends to every sphere. Mm-hmm. To in every way, mm-hmm. right? And yet, and yet, at the same time, people are held responsible. I, I'm thinking in my mind to some of the passages in the Old Testament about how God uses the Babylonians or the Assyrians to judge Israel. So or here the, they come in and they do these wicked acts, and God says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you, Babylonians and Assyrians." And yet He then turns to Israel and said, "They're my agent of destruction right.
1: on you to judge you." So like, how does that work? And and having having a God like this, who has both to use that language of of his his sovereign his sovereign will and his moral will, having those both be true is actually it's a beneficial thing for us to think about because what that what that means is that we serve a God who has uh, a soft heart towards injustice and yet also powerful and strong enough arms to accomplish what He wants. So we don't serve a God who has a hard heart towards those who who are sorrowful and who are the victims of of injustice and but he also doesn't have too short of arms to still accomplish his purposes and do do what he wants to do and so one of the difficulties that you can find is if you if you choose to favor one side or the other when it comes to God's wills then either you serve a god who is hard-hearted or you serve a god whose arms are too short to actually accomplish what he wants in the midst of injustices and but when you hold both those things together, you have a strong, capable God who, who legitimately stands with the victims of injustice. And the reason why that's such a captivating image is I think it's actually the true image of who, who God is as presented in the scriptures. Hmm. That's right. It's quite, it's glorious
2: actually. I mean, the way, the way that it, it works out and it explains so much holding those, those things in your mind explains so much about the scriptures and the things you come across and the, the places where you sometimes recoil and think oh why would god do that or why would that do that, it's that the, the the answer is but he, because he can set he can he he calls those things wicked mm-hmm. but at the same time yeah he's accomplishing his purposes
0: well and at, in the end of it it's what's best is he wants what's best for you and so
2: yeah and you as long when when we say you his covenant people mm-hmm. is what we mean by that yeah. and and again that's the way that the scriptures Speak and of course, Greg said it even this weekend. That's that language of covenant people is is with Abram, Abram Mm. in this case, and how God makes this this uh, he he makes this this covenant with him that's very one sided, Mm. and the image itself is how God is God is going to accomplish uh, this stuff. Anyway,
0: Mm. isn't I think because we just came out of the prayer series. And uh, one of the things that, um, and just in doing readings for through my MRS and whatnot, uh, one of the the ideas that Tim Keller brings to the table, which I find amazing, is God. He always answers our prayer, but He answers it in the way sometimes that you don't expect. So you say, "Well, God, why didn't you save my um, hmm. my dying grandma?" Hmm. You know, or why didn't you save this person? Like you could have healed them, but He actually grants it. God grants your prayer request in the way that you would have asked for. Had you known what God was doing behind the scenes. Yeah.
2: If yeah. you had all the if you had the knowledge that God has, you, you would, would answer asked. all the prayers the way He does.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that that brings me a ton of comfort.
2: Yeah, and ultimately the God is so much bigger than us. That's the whole point, is that God is so much bigger than us. And so that while we're in the midst of to use my image, right, and while you're in the midst of climbing the pole, yeah, sometimes we get scared mm-hmm. about what's happening and we're gonna fall and it's not working out, and I don't know, you know, the like the circumstances around us become <laughs> like <laughs> We become very cognizant of them and we start to freak out. But the point in all of this, you can you can trust him. I think this is the point when, when Jesus is walking on the water, invites Peter to get out of the boat to walk to him. I think the idea there is that confidence in a God who governs all of these things and actually can walk above them or on top of them. Is the secret to walking above and on top of them yourself. Mm. But the moment you start looking around at the circumstances and you get fearful of, you know, you realize your own ability and you compare it to what it is that you're supposed to be doing, that's when fear sets in. And that's when you start getting like going down that death spiral of, oh my goodness, this is never gonna work out and pull the covers back over my head and I don't wanna, I don't wanna get up. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Sweet. That was good. Was it? That was a little, little journey there into Acts 2 that I thought was nice. So well, let me ask you this, guys. Just give me a quick, little quick question here. Who are the Nephilim? Oh, my
1: gosh. The Nephilim. Have we, have we
0: answered this before? Currently, Greg's not interested in answering this. Do we still not know question. what it is?
1: Oh, we can talk about the Nephilim.
0: Well, Greg, you don't sound many, too excited. Ma- many people. You know, Greg, you don't have to be on this podcast if you don't <laughs> want to be on it. All right. Wow. Wow.
1: Greg, where does that come from? Where does that language come from?
0: Uh, Genesis
1: 6 before Sorry. Abram I know that much Yeah, Genesis
2: 6-4 It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days And also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans And had children by them They were the heroes of old, men of renown So the question becomes uh, where the Nephilim of Dem- Genesis 6-4 are the major viewpoints here are, number one, that the Nephilim are uh, some sort of hybrid between angelic being and human, mm. and thus, like giants and great power, they had great power, kind of like Thor, mm. right, who had a, his magic hammer and could do whatever, this or... Is delicious! Or, Another! <laughs> or... Do we take the language of sons of God to be a statement of, hu- of human beings, of uh, the so- sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them? That is just a sta- statement of sons of God as a statement about, uh, of, of men. It's a word that's used actually in Genesis to talk about uh, just people, right? So this is, the, this is the debate. Greg's got a little twinkle in his eye because he doesn't like that you second don't, option. You
1: don't want the Nephilim to be superheroes? Well, it doesn't are mean they, that they can't be superheroes. Weren't they rock a,
0: people? Yeah, in, the, the <laughs> Noah movie. They were rocks, right? Oh. I think so, yeah. Yeah.
1: See, when, here the reason why I reacted the way I did uh, was because um, th- this is a, a topic where I, I don't know if we're going to be able to have a definitive answer to it. I just don't know if there's enough evidence. Both are possible. And in, in the passages that talk about it, Am, I, am I, I, this is the only passage that refers to the Nephilim, isn't it? Yeah. And so we don't have a lot of context. We don't have a lot of explanation. Uh, it seems to be a, a passing phrase more than anything else. And so I think it's fair for people to have their theories. Sure. I, I think it's a waste of time to spend a lot of energy on a question like this, Craig. I know. Is not that terrible? Yeah. I th- listen, I think there are lots of things in the Bible like this.
2: There are questions that uh, like this. For example, what like where did Cain's where did Cain's wife come from? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that—that is—they're legitimate questions. It's just that the Bible doesn't totally answer them. You do have a little bit of context here that might lean you lead you one way or another. The debate here is like the near near context seems to say say it seems to sound like there's something more than human. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the near context, mm-hmm. but that language "sons of God" is used throughout Genesis to talk about men. So maybe they were just great men. Like I, it's not ultimately that big a deal. Um, I don't think that there's any significant. Uh, Outcome to it, except to say that oh, maybe there was a day when uh, there were there were mighty men like Thor around who lived a very very long time, and World. that's why they lived so long. So there, if you are listening to this and you have like a passionate background to this, we would love to hear from you, and we will try to include your viewpoint on the Nephilim on our Je- podcast. Jeff
1: would love to hear from you. Jeff would love <laughs> to hear from you. <laughs> No, I, I, I remember Ezra. studying
2: it and having listening to a debate about it for a, an entire class hour when I was in oh, seminary, yeah. and yeah, it gets a little nuanced at points, especially just it's just basic, you know, Bible interpretation stuff at the end. And it, you're right, Greg, you you come out the other end and you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if there is a slam dunk on this one. Although there are some, I have a friend who's like, no, this is a slam dunk. It hasn't, it has nothing to do with. Uh, Hmm. With angels and that sort of thing, right? So, uh, and I remember him his argument and coming out the other end, saying, "Yeah, it's pretty compelling what you, the evidence you've marshaled." So, if this is something that particularly right. appeals to you,
1: Here, here's my uh, justification for my lack of faith, un- unashamed agnosticism over this issue. Oh. Je- <laughs> Jeff's used the imagery before uh, of um, our theology what we have in our mind about what we believe to be true about God and what the scriptures have to say is essentially an ecosystem where everything that we believe is a live part of this ecosystem and, and some things are going to lead to the health of it or to the detriment of it if we believe certain doctrines to be true. And so one of the reasons why I'm agnostic about this issue and some other ones is that I don't actually think that to be right or wrong on it is going to have a dramatic effect on the rest of the ecosystem of what you believe to be true about the scriptures. In other words, you could have vastly different viewpoints on the Nephilim and still fall on exactly the same viewpoints on things like uh, the two wills of God and on uh, our views of scripture and on all kinds of other things and yet have completely different takes on the Nephilim. So that's why I'm, I'm permitting myself to it's be like agnostic the, about this. To use a different image, it's like the appendix of your body. How, huh, buddy? It can burst. You
0: just take it out, and it's s- not <laughs> the appendix can snap.
1: It's not really. It's not really causing you that and much And as long trouble. as as long as people know it's about to burst, and you can take care of the rest of your body, that's important. Yeah. While the appendix bursts, got it? You'll be fine. It's so, kind of
0: like uh, what, what you,
2: kidneys. You can have two of them. Well, the, the Greg is or liver arguing that the neph. Yeah, no, I think you just How have one. Kidneys? I think what? you could just have one liver. I think, uh, huh. think that's what Maybe you need. Maybe the
0: Nephilim had two livers. No, I don't think that's part of what he's talking about. Greg, I don't know. You should look at the text again.
1: Where do we get these interns from anyway? Here, apparently. In,
0: in-house. 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 <laughs> Inbred. Here's a question for you. Uh, uh, through the, Greg, to use your language, the ecosystem, mm. what, are, what do you guys think are some of the doctrines that are hurting the ecosystem, things that we are believing today in the church? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm things that like obviously we'd say okay the nephilim isn't affecting the ecosystem what do you guys think are issues that are affecting the ecosystem
2: oh well, i think that issues related to the atonement so for example the the idea you know what what happened on the cross some people think oh you know you can hold any viewpoint you want on that i actually think that does a great deal of harm harm to it i actually think that this is one of one of the, the viewpoint one of the doctrines that people Uh, these days think is a take-it-or-leave-it sort of thing is actually the doctrine of hell. Uh, They want to say, well, that's not, you know, uh, that's not that important what viewpoint you have on it. Uh, Actually, it touches an awful lot else. What did Jesus experience on the cross? Uh, What was the atonement about? What did he atone for? Mm. And what is the benefit of his atonement to those who believe? Uh, What is the Judgment of God—that's warned all over Scripture—is uh, it retributive in any sense? So, so in other words, all of these—if you start fiddling with that doctrine, it means that you have to follow that a, around, right? And so you think, oh, that's just like this little—that uh, little, you know, little sparrow in the in the in the forest. And, you know, let's yeah. kill it off. Yeah. Well, actually, the sparrow is 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 a link in a big chain, actually that that is affecting lots of stuff. And so because it affects more things in the ecosystem, it is more central to the Christian faith as a whole. That's that's the point that Greg is making is that things that affect more stuff in the ecosystem have a more take a more central focus and they're the stuff we're willing to fight fight for and divide over and, and things to that to that effect. Mm-hmm. So this day and, I'll give you another this day and age there's a lot of debate over uh, the over whether women should be leaders in the Christian church. By leaders, I mean like elders in in, in churches, and um, that in and of itself is not really affecting the ecosystem. The decision you make on it, right in the end, if you mm-hmm. have women who are elders, and not, that's why it's not really an issue that we, I mean, I have opinions, and we certain, you have to make a choice about it in the end, right? right. As a church, either you're going to have women right. as elders, you're not. But at the end of the day, you're not know, going to worship together with somebody who disagrees with me on that subject. However, if the reason that they disagree on that subject is because of the, the their view of the Bible is the Bible's just sort of outdated and stupid and we need to update whatever. Oh dear. Hmm. So now now we're into a different issue. Mm-hmm. The issue, you know, the presenting challenge or the problem is that you're saying, "Oh, that that you know, women should be elders of church or whatever." But the reason you're getting there is because you're denigrating the Bible. It's
0: the reason behind and the reason,
2: exactly. And Your doctrine of Scripture now is a problem that actually is going to touch the trustworthiness of God. It's going to touch lots of other doctrines in Scripture. It's going to touch all, like all sorts of so I hope you understand what I'm trying yep. to say. Yep. That I, I that I that is, that issue can show. Uh, a greater, it can show a belief about the Bible that touches the ecosystem more than the issue itself does. I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of times in, in theological conversations, it, it's not unlike math where it's one thing to provide an answer. It's another thing to show your work, right? And you can provide an answer and someone could agree or disagree with your answer, but depending on the work that's done to get to your answer might, might show, oh, actually, we're a lot closer together than I thought we were, or oh man, even though we hold the same view on the particular issue, the, the way in which you got there is either really encouraging or really problematic, and and is going to be a deeper issue. So that's where I actually think one of the main ecosystem things is um, is our, our your view of scripture. So it's, it's efficiency, it's, it's trustworthiness, right. all that kind of stuff. If you Once you move outside saying that we can't trust the Bible or that we need more, out, then besides the Bible, then there's all kinds of uh, things that can go wrong in the ecosystem, for mm-hmm. sure.
0: Would you say that the higher your view of scripture, the higher your view of God?
1: Well, I would have, I would, yes. Yeah.
2: But I would think that, uh, I, I don't care about higher and lower views of God, so my, we use that language. I, I want a biblical view of God. Mm-hmm. I, I want to have and that and that's why you need i think you need to be fair to those who might disagree totally to say well you have a low view of God well the question the question is do, do you have a view of God that the Bible supports or does not uh and my my argument is yes the, the, the there's a there's an image of God that is given us in scripture and it's it that he's the true he's the true God we can try to create him in our image if we like but that's and so we end up calling that a low view of God so the way you're using that language, yes, a high view of God is a biblical view of God.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, guys, that has been a, uh, a good podcast. I think we're... It's nice to have Greg back. It is nice Even to have Greg back. Even though we hate his guts, it's good to have him back on the Whoa. podcast. And uh, Greg, we got... Uh, Send you know,
1: all your Nephilim theories to Jeff.
2: To hey, add, before we finish, uh, you, s- you spent the last few days in Edmonton.
0: Oh, I did. How was that? My lips are still chapped, dude. It's cold. In it's dry, yeah. But actually, I didn't mind Edmonton that much. Well, one of the great things about... Um, I went with Andy, who's speaking at Beulah Alliance Church with Apologetics Canada.
1: The Andy Stagger? <laughs> oh so gosh. hot right Should now. Me tell so you, hot. Oh my
0: so gosh. right now. And Andy was speaking at Beulah Alliance. And so I went with him. Crushed it. Crushed it. Love helped it. him you know, sell his book, thinking, asking life's five biggest questions. And uh, anyways, he did a great job. But Edmonton was super cool. I got to accomplish... Now, Jeff... You know you're you're American. I am, yeah. And uh, you just you won't understand this. Okay. This is mainly for the listeners who okay. who are Canadian. Okay. And uh, who are born uh, before the 1980s. Li- Greg, were you born?
2: No, you are probably. I'm going to listen in though. Okay. Or
0: mm-hmm. born after the 1980s. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, you're welcome here.
2: Okay.
1: Thanks.
0: This is a, not a. Uh, it's not a close-handed issue. This is not a. Uh, a low view, high view. thing.
1: Hey, can you land the plane? Let's go. <coughs> Finish the story, Greg. You're killing me.
0: You will. You will love this. Okay. You make me sick, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, can uh, I, before you finish no, 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 this thing, no, 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 Greg, uh, how Jeff, many caveats think, uh, do you need before
2: you finish the story? Greg,
0: why do you gotta make this all about you? <laughs> it's, what?
2: And Greg, this reminds me of your of your hat. How is this, yes. and Greg? All right, when you got that hat, I bet this story is really gonna be appropriate you know what, for when you got
1: that hat. That's right.
0: Did you get the hat? Dude,
1: just finish your story. I hurt his feelings. Greg, say sorry. <laughs>
0: Such a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> say sorry. Okay. Um, no, the the best thing. Best thing is I, I went to the West Edmonton Mall.? Who? Which uh, you think, oh, that's it's just a mall. and you're right. It's a large mall with a roller coaster and a swimming pool with a bunch of slides in it. But for me, growing up as a millennial child, it's kind of a Canadian privilege or uh, pilgrimage. Mm. It's is a it? Canadian pilgrimage. Growing up, you just hear a kid will be in class like, oh, what would you do this <clears throat> summer? We went to Edmonton. Oh, Did you go to the like mall? what'd you do there? Yeah, Oh, went to the mall. And it was so awesome because you thought biggest mall ever, and then of course you grow up and you realize that you can buy all the same stuff at different stores.
2: Don't they in the West Edmonton Mall have the have the same store just over and over again? Are there there's like a, four I think a couple. or five of the yeah. same there's store. There's
0: a couple, but dude, it was a big uh, it was a big moment, man. It was the Canadian pilgrimage. Good. I, I am. Did you uh, go
2: to the? Did you go on the on the roller coaster? I did not. Did you go on the? There's a water park, and then did you go to the water park. I
0: walked inside, and it was really humid. Mm. Yeah. But I didn't go on the slides because it was okay. a business trip. Jeff And you're not allowed to have fun When you go to Edmonton That's right Okay
1: uh, To make this about me A few days ago I went to uh, Alright right, this has been a the, good podcast Chilliwack you Mall <laughs> It was easily oh. Three quarters vacant Cottonwood For lease It was rough It was a little bit rough Chilliwack Mall's hurting Safeway's there though So
0: that was good Wait because
1: they Hmm So if you're looking For a place to lease In Chilliwack May I suggest to you The Chilliwack Mall On Lakakak Is this bad of me to say this? Am I in trouble now, Jeff?
2: I just want everybody in Chilliwack to know that we love you. (laughs) I
1: like. I said nothing wrong about Chilliwack.
2: We find. We I just want you to know Chilliwack
1: has amazing spots in it. I have found the Chilliwack Chilliwack Mall is not one. A a great spot.
0: Wow. I like. uh, Jeff, let's let's go around the table and what's our favorite Chilliwack spot? this Lake.
2: Yeah, that'd be great. It's a good one.
0: It's been great hearing uh, you,
2: Daniel, and you, Greg. Thank you. God bless you.
0: And God bless you.